Welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm your... Oh, let me get comfy. <laughs> that uh, chair is fighting back. Yeah, it's very angry at me. <laughs> Welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? I gotta say, when I wrote that thing, like, years and years ago... No, it was only, like, <laughs> a year ago, I think, or a little bit more... I was like, I'd never realized that that was like going to be a mantra that yeah, <laughs> I no. had programmed. I, yeah. It feels like very syncopated and mantra-like, so yeah. I feel like it's a good <laughs> mark like, of a successful intro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so actually, I was going to talk to you a little bit about Arizona because you just revealed to me that you literally just drove. How long is that drive? Um so for me, it was six hours. It was about six hours. Six hour drive. So yeah. you you're talking to me after a six hour drive, yeah. which I got to commend you for. Cause uh, <laughs> fuck, man, you're coherent. <laughs> and you got some big brass balls. I think everybody's like, you're like the least diva oh, <laughs> guest I've had on the show. I appreciate that. I mean, I'd love <laughs> not, to be. Not that anyone's <laughs> been like pulling power moves, but I'm just saying like, you're like, fuck, man, I'm good to go. I'm impressed. <laughs> I like to be, yeah, I'm expanding what a diva could be, which is... Being able to drive six hours without yeah without, with, without water <laughs> and then come and like here. a coffee cake or something is your you said you were getting your stepdad a, a coffee is he in the car that's one thing no, I forgot no. to ask. my parents <laughs> are outside trunk. waiting for me no <laughs> two hours I, I was buying him a gift he oh, okay. I grew up he's always been a little bit of a coffee addict so. Um, he's this white guy, um, who my mom met in the high desert and he's like an ex skater, like Lords of Dogtown kind of Ooh. fellow from like Downey. And then like, he like started working at the LA times as like, I think like on the, on the floor doing some things. Manual labor? <laughs> okay. Should know more about his personal history. You know that pedestrian shit that people no, do. But, <laughs> but he like was definitely the story of like a um, like a kid in the seventies growing up when skate skateboarding was alive, and then yeah. um, and then like becoming um, a moderate conservative, just oh, by wow. being um, a working class. White guy. <laughs> Did he become rich? Is that the key? <laughs> what was that? Did he become rich? Is that how he how he made the jump? No. Oh, the ideological jump. No, it's just like. So he was also someone who voted for Obama, but then voted for Trump, and he voted for Trump. And like when they started doling out the statistics, like yeah, it's all the non college educated working class white forgotten like, mm -hmm. um, I guess poor whites would be like the term that. I would hear in post-colonial discourse, but, um, but yeah, he's like part of, a, um, he was a very, he's very given to populist rhetoric and, um, yeah. um, he's like a white guy with an Asian wife, new wife. So well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, my, my dad is also a white guy or I mean a white Cuban guy uh -huh. with, uh, with a with a Filipino wife. Oh, too. really? Or, or he left my mom. Is that for, why you're in the Philippines? Yeah, he left. Oh, okay. he, well, now he lives in Spain, so he's like fucking bougie. <laughs> <laughs> we share a lot of biographical history, yeah. Javier. <laughs> Except in my case, my dad's the colonizer. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, that's funny because uh, I like I have like a bit of a hang up because I end up dating a lot of white women. 
I don't know if it's just because of the numbers, but or or if I'm just like. What do you mean by numbers? Like, just there's more of them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we are called a minority, (laughs) Uh, but uh, or I I don't know if like it's. I I mean, I do sort of have a hang up. I don't know if I'm like if my brain has been colonized. I don't know if I'm like you with the what was it that you the the realization that you had when you left med school? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) and you saw the Matrix. (laughs) No worries. Uh, And you can put your feet up here. Okay. Um, Sorry for kicking your foot. No, no problem. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I forgot where I was going with that. No, it was, you were talking about like this psychological. Oh, but my, but then, but then I also think of it as like extreme privilege because my dad has told me that white women, white European looking women have never uh, shown him any interests. And I think that that's a generational thing, Hmm. right? Like, cause we don't. We're not like I'm not like much whiter than him. <laughs> you know, he's actually might I even pass for more European because I kind of look uh, a little Middle Eastern uh, by comparison. But but yeah, that that's that's a, a weird thing to like have your dad tell you. <laughs> I think that it's it's also weird because yeah. my dad fancies himself a Casanova, and like when he left my mom, he was like. I fuck a lot of bitches. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. No, it's totally that. It's like that inherited coloniality where, like, yeah, he's now he li- What does it mean now that he lives in Spain? Is he more? He's trying to align himself um, or posture himself so he's more sexually desirable to yeah. um, to women that he has had some je- sexual trouble with. I don't know yeah. what to call it. Well, you can stop me if I'm saying no, no, too much fine. about your personal yeah. Well, he's, he, he's, he, he told me that, like, one of the things that he really liked about living in Mexico was that he was the whiter... He was considered, like, wh- European. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and like, so all, all of those things are things that you hear, and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, like, rewarding European and white privilege is like it, it, it blends it in so many ways yeah. i mean this kind of goes as i'm gonna bring back the bottom and, and like i think like just generally oh we can do two hours on bottom <laughs> i have no problem okay. i'm 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 there man i think we're just wait, I, maybe I, I, there's still hope that bottoming can be like not just pain <laughs> yeah no exactly it is all, it's pain and power but pain when we take our it's like productive use of pain yeah. all right i don't know yeah I don't know. That's just, I mean, so I was going, there's this idea that, um, like a lot of your behavioral or your worldview is affected by your sexual desirability. Mm. And, um, as like an Asian boy, um, like on the apps, how old are you? 28. Okay. So you, all right. It's not weird. I mean, I know that you're calling yourself a boy in the context of like the scene, correct? Oh yeah. But you're like, okay. you're not 17, are you? Yeah, like, no, well, it just makes me feel weird that I have a boy in my room. Really? <laughs> my oh, room. let's explore that a little an, bit. An, an, uh, unaccompanied Asian boy. A little Asian bottom just hanging out I on don't your know, couch. I don't know how well versed you are in, uh, not to creep you out right now, how well versed you are in, um, uh, serial killer lore, but, uh. Oh, I'm very proud for it. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, the Dahmer. Like yeah, oh. he, he had a thing for for uh, Filipino boys, uh, apparently. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, he also had to drink so that he could kill. And uh, well, that is trig- a- trigger warning. He would uh, drill holes in people's heads and put acid in there because he was trying to make like an autonomous like sex zombie oh my god like yeah. lobotomize yeah essentially yeah and just make a yeah zombie. so he, he, he was very sick oh. and once he got on meds he like he was like holy, holy shit. shit yeah, yeah. 
that's got to be fucking crazy, dude. To to like just kind of come to your senses and be like, oh my god, I ate people. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sorry for the turn, everybody. No, I mean, but he was. I mean, I guess he was a top. Maybe that's the U.S. Maybe the U.S. is Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, someone day. could very well <laughs> We're making talk about cannibalism yeah. and consumption and zombifying and necropolitics and it's all, and make a big thesis <laughs> around Dahmer is and U.S. imperialism. <laughs> is necropolitics a thing or did you just coin that? No, it's a thing. Okay. <laughs> you have very specific niche-ified knowledge. No, and I can't this just... is, see, I'm trying to undo my jargon. I know. No, it's... no, I like it. I like it. It's fine. I don't think the audience is, is going to resent the, the um, jargon, but it is a, uh, you, you are definitely steeped in a, in a, an academic, uh, uh, Sadly, no. But that's—I mean—that's fine. Like, <laughs> but I, I like that you. This idea of like being wary or skeptical of the worldviews that are produced by the elite, like Harvard, is like exactly the kind of echo chamber that self replicates and repro- yeah reproduces yeah. and subjugates. So I feel like there's no point if all I can. I've gotten to a point where all of my language is abstract. Then I won't be able to reach. The, the no, but it's I'm not. It's, it's not. It's not abstract. <laughs> uh, I, and I think that like you're you're certainly capable of like using colloquialisms and and not alienating people. <laughs> we, this is definitely a space where you where we want that. Uh, yeah. you know. The, I feel like the there's academic, a safe space. <laughs> it's a, yeah, like you're not you're not hanging out with like your. Uh, pro-Trump uh, Filipino family members and then try and, and then condescending to them. I don't feel condescending. Oh, I guess oh, that's okay. the distinction. Okay. But I do think that there is a, is, is a sort of a, a condescension that comes with that worldview that is, and you know, and, and to be fair, uh, even in LA, like just speaking in terms of art schools, they all are, uh, somewhat ideologically driven to begin with, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know what the case is now because maybe faculty has turned over, but when I was applying to grad school, because I did try to go to grad school, it was just so fucking expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, it's absurd. like in 2013, the program at CalArts was seen as more uh, rigorously conceptual and not object-making, object-art-oriented, whereas mm-hmm. US, UCLA was. And so, like, if you go to these schools, you're sort of uh, also a- ending up in a matrix, right? Yeah. And it also comes with its own prestige, because if you went to UCLA, I think UCLA doesn't have an MFA program. I think it's just MA, but, like, you go... Oh. I'm, I could be wrong because I talked to someone that uh, went there, and I think this is what I understood. Okay. And, but like, if you go there, it doesn't matter that you don't have an MFA because you went to fucking UCLA, right? Um, but there are implications with your with your schooling. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's your school called so that we can all judge it? Based oh on, yeah. Based on your mm-hmm. uh, representation. I went to. Um, I went to. I did my undergrad. I did four years essentially of pre-med. I was never in medical school, mm. <laughs> but I did uh, four, four years of pre-med work at UC Berkeley. And then, um, and then I went to, I lived in Ohio with my sister for a little bit. And then I got at my first job in museums at the mm. natural history museum. Okay. Um, and I really wanted to work within the museum world. And I, was gradu- I was graduating with a really shitty GPA just because I had forced myself through 
<laughs> through the crucible of being a disinterested um, science major. <laughs> but then, like, yeah, but then taking, being able to really fall back on my art history uh, background. And um, I was, like, doing freelance work in the Melrose Fairfax district, um, just writing press releases and bios for artists, for, mm-hmm. like, um, which... They're more, like, uh, centered around graphic design, skateboard culture, um, which was a really awful homophobic experience for me. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's <laughs> to, actually... Uh, um, a bunch of... Outing. B- I mean, like, no surprise, cis, though. A bunch of cis skaters, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, we, yeah. We, we used to call each other the F word, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which sucks. Like, I was yeah. part... You know, my, I lo- my, my older sister was such a model because... She was a, a brilliant, like, graphic designer and was really into, like, this, like, um, this grunge aesthetic of, uh, of this 90s, um, very lo-fi. Uh, she was just very intuitive to that. And I think it... it so you... I'm trying to place you... So you're 28. So you're, like, a decade and a year old, uh, younger than me, which is interesting that you bring up grunge. So what is your perception of grunge? My perception of grunge is... Because um... I lived it. I was like 15. <laughs> no. no, I was 15 when it was happening. And it's fascinating that anyone even now still gives a shit. No, that it, anyone's like... I, I just thought it was like something that yeah. was like kind of... I mean, obviously Nirvana was fucking huge. But the idea... Yeah. Like grunge didn't last like a decade, right? Like by the, by the mid... You know, like by 95, yeah. it was already on the way out. And then when you get into the early aughts, you're getting into Creed and shit like that, which is what <laughs> it morphed into, right? Like, yeah, post grunge, exactly. Post Christian grunge. <laughs> like, and by the way, I mean there are some of the their songs that I can fucking jam to. Still. <laughs> one, oh, one. <laughs> the only way is one. Yes, my... I feel angry. I feel. You're bringing me back. I'm preaching. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like for me, it's such a. I don't even really know what grunge is. And I was there, right. like, you know, like, uh, and, and I don't say it like, I mean, I wasn't like fucking going to like Nirvana shows or anything mm. like that. I was like 15. I did go to like see The Offspring and stuff like that, but that's more like punk. But it's still got that overlap. You get what I'm saying? Yes, like, yes, everything, yes, yes. everything that wasn't grunge was still kind of grungeified. We called it alternative music. Yeah. Right? Like, and that was the Beastie Boys were included in that. It's like now they're hip hop. Or even like the Bloodhound Gang. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's early aughts. That's like yeah, yeah, yeah that doesn't yeah. count. I, yeah. Well, I mean, like that's a problem of like historic. This it's uh, has a very identifiable style and aesthetic and multivalent visual and aural culture mm-hmm. around this term grunge. It yeah. becomes useful to deploy because people can bring themselves back to a Nirvana archetype or to a Cobain archetype. But yeah. um, but I mean, like of course, those categories are very unstable, and it's only dependent upon how cultural historians reflect and yeah and, and do this well, but, historiography around it but but the other okay so so what's my <laughs> no but but okay here's something that maybe maybe you've thought about maybe you didn't think about it okay mm-hmm. what was happening during grunge is that the 70s were coming back in this mm. weird way not with bell bottoms but we did have jinko so it was sort of adjacent and you know you're talking about the hansons or like no no <laughs> I, no I'm talking about I'm talking about like ju- the the it was it was a movement driven by Gen Xers who okay. who came of age like you know how I came of age during grunge they came of like a uh, Kirk Cobain yeah. was was coming of age during the seventies he was probably like a kid during that time right mm-hmm. and so so my my point is that like um, for 
us for us grunge or grunge was a nostalgia movement and now there's nostalgia for grunge and that's something that Ooh. when you when you're living through it you think it's like you kind i mean you don't think it's new but it's new and like you don't necessarily like and then now people look back on it as this like um singular moment but mm -hmm. it's really a derivative moment of like that's and the reason it's coming back now yeah. is because it's been 20 years i <laughs> I, I okay so i i'm gonna come at this definition through affect and personal memory when i think of grunge i think of like the cartoons that dealt with with abjection with a raw sense of humor with absurdity like which what? like ren and stimpy okay. beavis and butthead um daria yeah, yeah, yeah. no that's um, in, that's definitely there and then like you have like radiohead like kind of mirroring yeah like sonically this kind of this and they they sort of mirror that that the evolution out of it where they actually made good music that was <laughs> electronic based as opposed to like fucking u2 which was like that oh, the, their last yeah. good album was like zuropa <laughs> and then after that they were like yeah we're pop, we're pop band now <laughs> <laughs> well it's the thing is that what characterizes grunge for me does have a very specific la flavor because now when i was learning about um you know the la scene in the 90s essentially like the um helter skelter crowd of mike kelly yeah. and um um olden Paul McCarthy. It, yeah. It was like all of these aesthetics that were coming out of like ab absurdist, abjection, burnout, um, that was coming, that was like delivered around the same time, like late 80s, early 90s, I believe. Um, so, and it still has so much legacy here. And like, yeah. especially with the CalArts crowd, like it was, it was when high conceptualism was really leaning into like this sort of lowbrow execution or, um, uh -huh. and then you have like John Baldessari. Sorry, I'm like rattling off a panoply of white guys. So I'm so <laughs> sorry for my, like, my, 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 I don't want to. Well, it, it also makes me think of uh, the, uh, um, uh, Margaret Kilgallen and, mm. and all of those the um, oh you the mean like the the, 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 um, the beautiful losers beautiful losers the, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, which is what the documentary about them is called but like that was like when there was also like a commercialization of the grunge aesthetic right it was like really interesting because to me that was like there was a really there's an emphasis on illustration yeah. design also skateboard culture yes. but then in with like specifically within the Northern Californian metropole, namely like the Mission District, and, yeah, um, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, with the um, which is also something that's dead now because I don't know what San Francisco's like anymore. <laughs> but it's nothing like Beautiful Losers Town, right? It's well, nothing like what was inspiring Margaret. You know, the hand painting painted signs that she was duplicating and shit like that. Yeah, right. Well, I don't. I'd, I'd hate to like to. Um, I never want to apply the term like a dead to any move like i don't think grunge is dead or even oh, like no, mission, I don't, I, I, or mission school is dead or like <laughs> no but i just mean the experiences of living in san francisco is markedly different right yes. yeah and, yeah, yeah and oh, yeah. i mean there's still rebellion there but like to some degree it's like i mean i don't it's it, i i think it's also becoming like gentrified from oh, in the sense that yeah. like gay people don't necessarily can't afford to live there anymore in the same way yeah so, so like th that changes the identity yeah, of the a city like san francisco the, like, right the twitters and the yeah all the and in the early 2000s and... it was like it was advertising town like i mean that town's always been so full of like money in it, it, it 
it's it's a place where like things have centralized like the, mm-hmm. the ad industry there is insane mm-hmm. i think la has yeah. the film industry and, and san francisco has the mm-hmm. ad industry yeah. because of all the hills that you know, everything can be like really like car commercials and you and shit like that like fucking bullet <laughs> <laughs> oh right yes yeah. there's so much geography that you can romanticize like, yeah that's immediately available for- and it has the same advantages that la has where it's like there's desert nearby there's yeah. you know there's all there's mountains nearby there's yeah. like yeah so but um it's also like the centralization of um you know the the advent of technology and around like around northern california yeah. well san jose the, and silicon yeah, valley is not far away yeah. yeah yeah well the one i just remembered that one of the things that i like uh i was thinking about when we were starting to talk about um Arizona was that like when I moved out to LA, I took uh, my car and I packed up all my shit inside of it mm-hmm. and and was driving over here and in my mind I was like I gotta finish all my weed before I get to Arizona because <laughs> that's where I'm gonna get searched. to Arizona. Wait, yeah. you moved to Arizona? No, when I moved to LA, but like I was driving from Miami. Oh, I see, uh, I see, I see. Uh, across country, and so like I had some pot with me, and I was like, Yo, oh, you better the use it now. Heat, the the real heat up's gonna be in Arizona, and. That, that's where I got, like, I mean, there was a checkpoint there. And so I did have, like, my information, my research oh, wow. was correct. But they just looked at me and were like, fuck it, go. And I was like, I could have, I could have still You were so weed. prepared, though. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, fucking eat it, man. <laughs> wow, that's really Well, and that's another generational thing that we don't need to talk about. But, yeah, man, you, you know, being a thug. I, I, I used to identify it as, like, a thug. And mm-hmm. all I did was, like, really smoke pot. I mean, actually, that's not true. I did a lot of uh, of of serious like Miami type drugs. I never yeah. did heroin, but I did do oxys and shit like that. Mm. But a lot of the time I didn't. A lot of the time, I, all I did was smoke pot. And even yeah. during those periods, I, I was like, like I'm gonna. I like that you refer to thug as like a an identity claim. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I I think that. Um, deploying the term is really racialized because it refers to black male bodies and um so when you identity claim as a thug it's like what what are you using as your qualifiers but i but then at the same time you're like blackness has been so criminalized um um with and associated with with drug use so there's that thuggishness came out of yeah like a discourse of anti-drugness you know and and also thug life was like (laughs) you know came out around that like i am generationally like identify like we i as a generation identified with the term gangster and thug in a very different way that like i still say (laughs) yo that shit is gangster and i catch myself listening yeah i'm like i'm so miami bro (laughs) No. (laughs) no but i like this this idea of um of really getting and drilling down some of these racialized terms that have a lot of, uh, like a timestamp to it, or they're not only racialized, but they are generational. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a thug is like not something that I hear a lot. (laughs) No, that's funny, but it is, it is like, I mean, it is part of the identity that comes with like sort of being in situations where, you know, where you're like, you don't necessarily really know what the fuck is happening, but you're just kind of pretending like you belong and you're like, and you're seeing some shit and then you start doing that enough and you're like, Oh no, I'm I'm part of the scene now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I feel like we're quickly um, treading into precarious waters because of the, um, I feel like in order to really 
have a complete discussion about thugness and thug as oh, I, yeah. and then it claimed definitely have to have um, no, a black I, person in the room, which there's not. So. <laughs> well, but I mean, I, I do think, I, I agree that it has like a negative connotation now. Uh, I think that like during the, it, it, I mean, I lived through the, um, the, what's it called? The, uh, Afrocentric hip hop scene, and to the like more commercialized mm. direction that Biggie Smalls took things, and mm. um, like you know, all of the hip hop at the time was about identifying as a thug. Like, yes, it is a, a, a pejorative projected outwards, but mm-hmm. we all wanted to be rappers. Right? <laughs> is that why you moved to LA? <laughs> no, no, oh. no. I mean, we did. We didn't want to be rappers in this, and like. Bro, even like the gangster rappers, like you know, there's they, they, they were all studio ga- uh, studio rap studio gangsters, right? Like most of the people that we liked growing up were not like like fucking. I mean, Cypress Hill wasn't out gangbanging, but they like they said, weren't like system involved, incarcerated. And... Yeah, no, they they. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I know that they're hard, right? But like, or in in terms of like, they didn't back down from from Ice Cube when Ice Cube was fucking t- talking shit, right? Like they're hard in that sense, but like. Mm-hmm. Ice Cube is a studio gangster, which is what that whole beef was about, right? Mm. Uh, him getting outed as like, <laughs> put put a pipe on your cover, even though you don't smoke Buddha. <laughs> but wow, but you're yeah. like a you're like a oral historian of, of <laughs> yeah. You heard the the, the Pamela, <laughs> no, the, the, yeah, dude. I, in terms of identity, I mean that stuff was all in the culture, and like when I say when I say thug, I think of it in terms of like thug life where like being a point of pride, right? Like, yeah, yeah. What, you're what, reclaiming what, it as like an. Angel. Well, I'm not even trying. I mean, that's like so. That's grandiose. <laughs> that's that's grandiose. I'm just explaining why I identify with this term. Right. Okay. Like and like yeah. and if it's problematic, I'm happy to. It's, I'm still gonna identify. Like it's gonna take deprogramming because it's so embedded <laughs> in me. But like that was like that was what um, what got you cred. Like and I wasn't like mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, you know I was a skater punk. Mm-hmm. Right, that thought of himself as a thug, uh, because of like the crazy shit that we did that was illegal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Anti-authoritarian. Anti-authoritarian, and like you know, I was like a raver, uh, punk rocker. But I think that like Miami at that time was like, I mean, it's very problematic in very many ways. Lots of N-word usage, especially in the '90s. Right, but. Um, but yeah, there's, I don't know if it has to do with the, like, okay, we used to, there's a term in Miami uh, that is specifically generational that I've talked to people that are like maybe eight years younger than me and don't know the term the same way, mm-hmm. which is uh, a ref, like to call someone a ref mm-hmm. is a reference to a refugee, but oh. that was also a thug. Right, so like, huh. if you were a ref, you liked bass music. I'm talking like <laughs> Miami booty bass, right? And like, and that I'm not slapping bass. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not talking about always good booty bass. I'm talking about like <laughs> fucking uh, carpet to carpet, like wall to wall carpet of booty bass. <laughs> uh, I it's some okay. Let's see how many listeners know this one. <laughs> Coming to my planet soul. <laughs> Who knows Soul Oddity from the 90s and all that shit. Like there was like so it was Miami was its own niche music scene because it's at the end of a fucking peninsula, right? Mm. And then 
outside of of Miami, it's all white people that left Miami because they didn't want to be around, right? Like Hialeah, there's like parts of Miami that are designed so if you like go into that neighborhood, you got to go at least a hundred and some odd blocks mm-hmm. uh, 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 before, like uh, uh, you know, from mm-hmm. like. 30, I think it's Lejeune is like 32nd to like 140th. There's no way of getting out. Like those are the two entry points. And that's designed to keep like Cubans in place, right? Um, Again, remember, don't feel too bad. These guys are Republicans. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm saying like, there's like, you leave Florida, where do you go? Alabama. Georgia, like it's all like unfriendly turf, right? Mm. <laughs> it's not like, oh, Javier, welcome. <laughs> so, so I think that there's like this, this east. There's also an East Coast abrasiveness, but like, bro, we mm. were so fucked up on drugs. We, we we would like do roofies for fun, you oh. know? Like that sounds it, like big bottom energy, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, like, and no, like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, but no, but, but there's there's uh, there was also like. And, I, you know, we were all Cuban guys under the fucking banner of, like, Tony Montana <laughs> as an <laughs> idol. So, like, all that shit is problematic. But, like, we do have our own thug identity. I don't yeah. know if you ever watched Basketball with... Um, oh, my God, yes. And the, the Miami that. team has the the beepers. Like the, I need to rewatch Basketball because yeah. I wouldn't be able to read all of the cultural... It's cultural cues, yeah. That's, yeah. like, embedded in it. But, but like, yeah, man. Like, that, that it, it is a very... Uh, like it's a very greed is good culture like it's a lot of right wingers that are like yo like money you know and and living on credit like credit rich retirement yeah retirement homes i don't know that's my stereotype (laughs) of the retirement communities no we embezzle them motherfuckers (laughs) (laughs) but go into them steal their pills no Uh, that never happened (laughs) so how much of your of that kind of background makes it into your art practice um very little. I think that I try to keep the practice a little bit more, um, uh, less overtly political, more uh, like, um, I feel like that's so, I feel like you're so, you engage so much political discourse in, I think that I process, okay. So like, uh, (laughs) one piece that I can uh, describe for you. Oh, I have it in the other room. Um, (laughs) It's uh, I, I okay. It's not not political. It's it's just not uh, necessarily activism driven. Okay. So, and I think that that sort of like I am pretty non definitive in my like I I'm pretty sure that three years from now I'll listen back and I'll be like I don't agree with anything I said. That's there. okay. <laughs> no, I'm I'm I I've tur- like that's why it's why what's my thesis because I don't fucking know. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to figure it out. So uh, so in that sense, there's a, a sense of speculativeness in terms of like trying to find understanding in things. But mm-hmm. like for example, one piece wa- uh, that uh, was successful. This is like already from 2012, but it, um, now the things that I'm doing are a little less easy to just kind of like be like oh it's this and it does this right mm-hmm. so it's a receipt printer and it prints out all of my receipts onto a loop of paper Ooh. uh for it, at that at the last time i did it was for a year at this point i have like all the receipts from 2012 until now oh, wow. so i can do that whole thing 
and it prints them out one at a time on a loop of paper that's sort of held out like kind of like a conveyor belt. So it uh, sort of references being in a grocery store a little bit. Okay. And that and you I look see. you look down onto the print as it comes out, and it just prints one receipt per loop. Um, so uh, th- so and it's a self portrait. It ends up being an amalgam of all the uh, the like. Or, all your consumer behavior yeah, and uh, um, prints. Yeah, and, and it, so it's a self-portrait in that sense. Uh, and it obscures itself as it starts to print over itself. And, and oh. so it's uh, a bit of uh, loss of data. So in that sense, it is somewhat political. And it is like, um, yeah, maybe great. topical is not the word, but it is relevant to these broader concerns. Uh, but it's not definitive. It's not... Um, I was going to say patriarchal, but what I meant, like, <laughs> preachy. Uh, I feel like it um, It has a very... It reminds me of, like, the genre of information. Like, the the genre of art that came after minimalism. That yeah. was very process-based. And um, it had the aesthetics of administration. Um, yeah. Playing with data. Like, a, like a critical reflexivity of... Um, of your own, of like a, yeah, if you're like in consumer behavior. Anyway, it's, um, it sounds super interesting. I'm like, have you ever exhibited it before? Yeah, yeah, I, show, <laughs> I showed it. I mean, I, that, that, this is like the stuff that I'm getting into now is, uh, uh yeah, I, ha- I did show that before. I showed that. Uh, well, I, I have a catalog I can show you, uh, with that piece in it. Um, nice. but, uh, but yeah, like I do conceptual stuff like that, which in terms of rigor can be a little bit tedious. Uh, so I also my like the main source of, uh, excitement in my practice is, uh, drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that stuff gets a little bit just more formal, more, uh, but it, it, it deals with, um, I'm going to say it, but it's cause it's, I can't think of anything analyzing, uh, two dimensional, uh, optical shit that happens, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's a lot of experimentation until I find a drawing system that something that does something that I find interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a print next in the, in the next room that I can show you. I don't know if you can see it from where you're sitting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So the, it the, like, it uh, looks like a Xerox copy here from me. <laughs> but uh, sorry if that's so off. <laughs> Wait, the, it's on your wall. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, no, no I, 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 I'm trying to. I can, I can do, I tra- can do like a formal analysis of it right now. It's like <laughs> a collection of rectangles. Oh no, no, you don't have to. Do <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, no, no. I was just trying to like visualize it, and then I see, yeah, because it's two like formal pieces. Yeah, I can see how, or maybe like a washer and a dryer from where you're sitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Just because you described um, your previous receipt work now i'm so yeah, primed to is, receive everything you know yeah that's that fine this this is more like i said this is more formal and more and if anything it's more architectural in basis it's it has a lot to do with interests that i have in like perspective and just the idea of or uh, I, I, like let's say uh uh fuck clement greenbergism kind of mm. like you know mm. like the interest in which like uh, i mean i'm Purity. not Formalism, Formalism, abstraction. Yeah, like, and and his idea being that, like, you have to sort of paint flat and shit like that, whereas, like, I'm like, no, you don't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm more interested in maybe uh, things that would be considered 
derivative of op art, uh, mm-hmm. but a lot more um, linear drawing base than than that. But um, stuff that like like uh, when you get closer to that one, or when you like see it a little bit closer, it's like it's hard to make sense of it. Um, but like that's why I explained the other piece first because <laughs> this is a little bit uh, more in that space of like uh, what how do you word it which is why which is where I wanted to push myself mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just like I I just got tired of being able to explain it in a sentence yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because and not that the you, you can explain the experience because like the experience of actually putting it out and having people see it and react to it was a lot like the reaction to it was a lot more fun and playful and joyful, which is kind of, mm. I mean, joyful, maybe not and playful, maybe not, but like, uh, irony is something that is sort of, uh, what I'm interested in, in terms of like the depths of political analysis that I'll go into mm-hmm. where it's like, uh, yeah, I'm t- commenting on the fact that it's a self-portrait, of all the information that, mm-hmm. you know, of consumer information and it's relevant to a broader dialogue about that. But it's also kind of just fun. Like, it's just a fun piece that, like, yeah. you look at it and it makes you, like, giggle. It's, like, it's yeah. kind of silly, right? It's, like, I mean, I put the time Affective. into it. Like, you <laughs> yeah. don't need necessarily, like, a hard Marxist backing to legitimate, like, your practice or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm not, I would, I would make sure that I, you know, sometimes I, I talk about leftism and stuff, but I'm not even necessarily a Marxist or like a socialist full on, like, cause I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? How can you be yeah. a socialist in an entirely, like, obviously as a, like, okay. I feel I'm like- not a capitalist simply because <laughs> I don't have capital. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only thing I can tell you about my politics for sure. Right. <laughs> Well, Ben Davis is an author who writes specifically about the special status of artists in mm-hmm. um, sort of a po- He kind of really embraces a, Mar- a Marxist framework because it really talks about commodity value and commodity production. Yeah. And what, you, what does it mean when an artist creates a material product that doesn't directly participate? Um, it can both comply and be complicit with capitalist systems and both resist it. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. So it's really like a fucking taped banana. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. This is my, I have my Maurizio kettle on. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm making an effort not to reference the uh, one, the, mo- the one damn main, banana, the fucking most mainstream bias thing. Like, obviously it's fine. I don't have a problem with it. You know, it's, it's just an expression of like where we're at in the world. And it's uh, also like, of course, it takes someone who is highly successful and monetary, has a lot of capital where did that guy, to produce. Where did that guy go to school? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm guessing like uh, his uh, pedigree maybe <laughs> helps that. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he has. Uh, yeah. He has a, a whole. I don't even know his fucking name. That's how like <laughs> how uninterested. I mean, I find it interesting that it like, you know, I think. On a political sense, it doesn't really help artists feel, you know, like standing in the world because uh, mm-hmm. they people already kind of think of us as like charlatans. <laughs> oh, I know. Like. And then he just perpetuates. <laughs> yeah. The... And then it just enrages people. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I 
a good troll always gets me. So. <laughs> yeah. And that like is like if there's anything that you can not deny about that piece is that it's a fucking hard troll. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's so it's so absurd. Yeah, it's really absurd. It's really it's a good piece of pop. I got I'll admit that. Yeah, it's you, oh, so what, yeah. Do you have any critiques of it? I mean, I haven't really thought about it. I'm I just, just feel like it's a lot. It's very white pop. Like, oh, it absolutely, it wouldn't be pop without the privilege to be able to produce. Like, you need to, you need to be Maurizio Catalan in order to mm-hmm. um, even access that mark. Like the whole system of it being an edition selling for the you know notorious hundred twenty thousand. I don't even know what the yeah. sum is. Like that wouldn't happen without the privileges of being. It's like a very Coonsian. Yeah. embrace of commerciality that doesn't itself structurally decenter or undo their privilege. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, to me, it's like, no, it's like a, a work that I would try to stay away from talking about because I feel like pr- talking about it reproduces that white power. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's, and, and for me, it's just, it's like, it's, uh, I, I'm trying to think of like, it's like your dad trying to relate to you about like music, and he's like, yeah, "Hey, I know, but it's, like, it's, he's it's like, hey, you know that <laughs> you know Eminem." <laughs> yeah, I'm like, dad. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I know that when I go back and, um, and that's have Christmas with my family, like you're in the art world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they would say art world. That, you're yeah. in the art, like, dude. Yeah. What's up with the banana? And I'm like, oh, I have to talk about the banana. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like, do you are, do you have any concept of who Ilian Gonzalez is? He's this like Cuban no. kid that came over on a raft, and his mom died on the trip over on the raft from Miami. And oh they, Janet, there was this like crazy standoff with Janet Reno uh, sending the National Guard, and like uh, the kid was hiding in a closet. There were pictures of the National Guard coming in with like a, a big machine guns. Mm-hmm. It was like a fucking nightmare of a national story. Every white person in the world asked me about it because they I was the only Cuban person that I knew. And that was like my first like, I hate white people. <laughs> oh, no. uh. Like I had always been like at, at least white passing enough that that shit. But like when there was like then that's when I was like, oh, it must, suck well, it must to be, be black. worse being white passing because. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say and create a hierarchy in that way, but it must be difficult in situations where white people feel like you're another, they're amongst whiteness, so they feel free to say racist yeah, yeah. things. Oh, yeah. And you're I've like, stopped hanging out with people you're because just like, of that. Yeah. <laughs> you're like more vulnerable to I that kind of I had a whole group language. of friends that was different when I started this podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure they're listening to you now, proud no, of their friends, <laughs> seeing them succeed in the podcasting world. Okay, yeah. I looked up Maurizio Catalan's education and he has no formal training in art. So oh, wow. My prejudices more, are... Uh, wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> be- hey, <laughs> that's why it's what's my thesis because I don't <laughs> right. know shit. We gotta check each other but at the same time I'm like still like I'm, my, my opinion isn't that Hey, good. but you know what? I like it more now. <laughs> Get at it. Get at it. Yeah. No, because I was making assumptions about like uh, you know that now that's a con. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just. Uh, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of a of a similar thing that I was I was I had come to mind earlier, but I forgot it entirely. But yeah, you know, there comes a um, a time where something's a little too clever for itself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, the, what I was gonna say is that like, uh, if I were to compare like scandalous art pieces i would say that the emmett teal piece oh uh, yeah uh, what's her name 
Dana Schutz or something Dana Schutz, like that? yeah. Uh, th- I think that that talks about privilege in a different way, but it it maybe is... Um, it's more upsetting in yeah. a visceral way, and I think that because of that, it maybe does more than just selling a fucking banana. Oh, you know? no, those are totally... It, yeah. yeah, I mean, like... Dana I mean, not is, that they're similar controversies, but they're it. But it, it is they're both somewhat about privilege, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah it, they're both about privilege and the degree in which you can. Well, specifically, what shoots is like the degree in which you can appropriate another culture's trauma, and even if it were a gesture of solidarity, you're you at some point have to delegate the. You have to delegate that judgment to those in the bo- the bodies and those and the communities who are more directly impacted by it yeah so if, if it's some white girl sorry <laughs> white girl being like all right i really want to uh, make a solidarity piece about emmett till yeah um and then you have the black community telling you that it's wrong then obviously it's wrong <laughs> just <laughs> like you don't have the you're not directly <laughs> impacted by um by the yeah, by the critical black memory of what Emmett Till. I'm saying critical black memory. I learned this from there's a scholar. I'm currently enrolled at ASU, but I rest, recently read her book um, by this scholar Ursula Orr, mm-hmm. and she makes an argument that every like a rhetorical argument that every kind of black death should be referred to as a lynching, because mm-hmm. a lynching is a very specific format in which it involves a death of a black body but also is part of a tradition of whoever is executing that is performing their nationality performing their citizenship Mm -hmm. and she really ties it back to the history of lynching and lynching postcards and the reasons why um i forget what the name of that book is there's a a great photo book where someone um do you know which one I'm talking about? Yes, yeah, what's yeah. It? What's the sanctuary in the name? Yes, without sanctuary. Yes, yeah, without sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And she talks With about it in this book. That too. fucking book blew my mind. Uh, so if, in case you're not familiar with it, it, uh, it, they did a no questions asked open call for people that had these, uh, postcards of lynchings and stuff. It is fucked up. And when one of the things that's really important about it is that when it was released, it was like 60 years, maybe. No, no, sorry, not 60 years. It was released in, it was like 30 years since mm-hmm. like lynching was a thing. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, that's, I mean, in her book, she kind of talks about like the memory of Trayvon Martin, um, this, the imagine. And I do want to, just before we continue, I acknowledge that we're not black men talking about this, but. Yes. But yeah, yeah. So sorry. maybe we can move No, no, on. We, can, we can talk about it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's definitely culturally but, relevant. I don't, right. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't want to like whitewash the show because we're not no. black people. We can yeah. definitely talk about it. I, but I want to acknowledge that yeah. like we are aware that yes. we're. <laughs> and what I'm saying, I'm, yeah. I'm saying, I'm, re- I'm repeating the scholarship of, of another black female scholar Ursula Orr. So I'm really mm. crediting what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah And it's yeah. not my, it's, I'm really trying yeah. to, um, I'm not, I mean, inevitably I'm translating, but really this is not my scholarship. So, no, I, definitely. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was really, uh, she was talking about this concept of critical black memory where Trayvon Martin followed the same archetype of a hyper-eroticized black male um, you know, being an imagined threat to um, white feminine fragility, yeah. um, and um, and that's the justification for lynchings, and that happened 
um, th- well throughout um, the 13th Amendment or after abolition. And um, this idea that like we can call it like any kind of black death and separate it from the history of lynching is really an obfuscation of like the, we're forgetting like this is really deep-seated issue where yeah um where essentially like the threat of white fragility um makes black men more vulnerable and then more specifically the shooting or killing should be called lynching because it is wrapped up in nation building it is wrapped up in uh, a legacy of slavery so oh yeah and it's still i mean it really is no different like if you're rounding up people because they're cheap a uh, slave labor essentially like nothing has really changed right but yeah man that shit is is definitely fucked up and i do i i 100 percent right. i i i am 100 percent behind the idea of like yeah. considering every every one of those instances a lynching because that's like it's being done like, at the at the behest of industry. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like that's that that's or why patriotism too. Like, patriotism as well, but but I think that like there is very much a thing that we like to think that people are going to prison because of they're committing crimes, but they're going to prison because they're they're affordable labor. And that's like mm-hmm. what what the the motive that like that's why we're getting so many people shot because they're not people in the eyes of uh of of the state of the state like and and same thing that's not that's not within the boundaries of like boundaries don't exist for people with power the elites do not are not restricted their travel's not restricted or anything like that mm -hmm. they can if you got money we're gonna want you to come to our country because you're gonna invest some of that money Mm -hmm. right and so so that's that's where that privileged uh racial line um, you, you know, that class and racial line is very, very much embedded into the mm-hmm. the, the the fabric of uh, yeah. of things because it's like, yeah, I mean, it just just the fact that there is a uh, a group uh, like a city in this country of people that were allowed to come with open borders um, to fight communism border the whole idea of a border is just a colonial project <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah well and then and that and and it's also uh how like how wealth is extracted because if you're limited it like if mm-hmm. you're limited to work uh, to what work is available in your area but yeah. work can go wherever it's cheapest it's like i mean that's 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 kind of where the problem yeah you know exists right like uh, yeah, and and so, but again, I, the the point is like, uh, we don't invade Cuba because they don't have anything that we need other than sugarcane, uh, but like, we go to Honduras, Venezuela, because they have fucking resources there, right? So like, why can't these Latin American countries? be socialist (laughs) (laughs) but this one fucking island has Mm -hmm. been communist forever like think about that like Mm. how does that work right (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) they had fucking bombs there and they still we still didn't take them over right like it that just just think about how like that that policy is is in place right Mm -hmm. it's fucking insanity just just the way that like everything works out and who gets exemptions and who gets attacked mm-hmm. right like it's it's wild. it's complete wilderness 
And I'm glad that we didn't end talking about blackness and no. I was able to transition <laughs> no, I to something that up similar. Because I wanted, I mean, because of black scholarship is also a model for me. And it's not, it's like not only they like create like intersectionality we owe to Kimberly Crenshaw. Like, yeah. and black credit, like, what, what does it mean? I learned that term on the show. That's, <laughs> that's how ignorant I am. No, no, this is part of the, <laughs> the, the, the what's my thesis thing. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the queerness of the project of what's my thesis is that like you're vulnerable enough to be able to be like, I want this to be like a dialogue and we're like mutually learning together at our various expertise yeah. <laughs> <But>, um, <laughs> and like yeah like we're able to refer back to some previous conversations yeah, that yeah. have been really um enlightening for us for lack of a better colonial term we're very elu- elucidating or like but, um <laughs> i think that like i would bring up because what does it mean then to have like a brown crit- critical memory what does it mean to have a filipino critical memory what does it mean yeah. to have a cuban critical memory yeah like where um, you have instances that are corollary to like an Emmett Till where um, it really activates this national, this uh, historic oppression. Um, no. So I, I um, that's, that's just where I yeah. feel like I'm drawing back how he came into this. No, and, the, and I think that, that the, the, the reason that I, uh, I do enjoy the speculative nature of doing this format where I'm not... Uh, First of all, because, like, I get tired of my own voice, and if I'm always telling people that I know <laughs> what I, what's right, like, it's annoying to me. But the uh, ju- just also, like, everybody has special knowledge, special understanding that comes from experiences, specifically, in this case, like, critical knowledge. Yeah. Like, uh I understand the divisions between Latinos a little bit differently yeah. because I come from one of the most privileged Latino backgrounds that you can have, right? Which is like, here's a passport. You've lived in this country for 15 years. <laughs> Fast track uh, mm-hmm. citizenship, right? So like I, uh, but I, my experience, my insights are going to be completely different from like other guests that I've had on the show mm-hmm. that like, you know, someone who's uh, uh, even someone that who's immigrating like, now well i'm i'm a son of immigrants so i don't even have that personal experience Mm -hmm. that's a very specific thing whereas like uh my parents have had a different experience so like your knowledge base is limited to what you've been given access to yeah right so yeah i also this might be pivoting but i wanted to sort of lean into our shared experiences and since you grew up within um like you said you were within a pretty heavy like skateboard community yeah yeah i mean uh, i was i never was very like i was never a virtuoso skater i want oh, to make no, sure i, mean, neither I could I. I could ollie high as fuck <laughs> but uh in terms of like uh consistently landing heel flips and kick flips consistent is a strong word <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty advanced i could barely one, like ollie one out of three let's go and that's generous oh, okay <laughs> my brother was like an aspiring pro skater so he was much better than i and I and then I was and I was always like within the valence of like, um, of like his friends and stuff. But like I just wanted, yeah, I, I'm kind of going back to this uh, idea of like what kinds of cultural production are happening with specifically within skateboard culture that we can kind of tease out or something. Because mm. I feel like grunge is kind of a part of that. And um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, grunge. I think that like grunge was kind of this injection of apathy or of like, um, it was like, it was a weird, it was sort of this, and I think this is kind of why, um, 
uh, Kurt Cobain killed himself, it was this commercialization of apathy that mm. was that Ooh. was like that was happening for Gen Xers, which I am. I, I'm like the last year of Gen Xers. The last of the Gen Xers. How it in theaters? That's gonna maybe be, be, become <laughs> no, one no. Of, become a thing for me now. I'm gonna <laughs> totally start. No, Javier Proenza, the last no, of the Gen I, Xers. I just love that term <laughs> that you just said. The commercialization of apathy. Like, yeah, no, and I think that that and and I think that one of the things that he struggled with is that uh, Kurt Cobain uh, struggled with was was that that he was this embodiment of this like establishment um, when he was really trying to voice this like sense of like uh, existential ennui and dread. Yes. Uh, and, and, and to have that become a commercial success made him feel like a sellout. I think, I don't know. I, I, I mean, this is just like years and years of like specul- speculative, like right. fiction about Kurt Cobain that, well, I mean, that ends up I that like, absorbed. Yes. But yeah, I would call it like dysmorphia at some point where a lot of your your art comes from. Yeah, be, of of being so downtrodden, uh, yeah. uh, and then of being the- a fucking loser, and then and then imagine you're a loser. That's what your art is about. Now you're the coolest motherfucker exactly. in the world, and then like, you don't even know who you are. Anymore. Yeah, you and but you're not just the coolest motherfucker <laughs> in the world. You're rich, and you're hanging, and you're surrounded by David Geffen. Like if you listen to him talk on uh, on the the New York uh, Unplugged uh, oh, album. He's like, yeah. David Geffen tried me tried to sell me Lead Belly's guitar. What? I'm like, bro, you're fucking kicking it with Geffen. <laughs> That's so funny that it would come out. Like, yeah. <laughs> he would just say that on MTV yeah. Unplugged. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's like, it's... That's, that like... That's a shock. Like your cultural, your your yeah. entire surrounding. Like it's almost like uh, it's it's that Ellen DeGeneres thing again. It's like right. when you become super fucking rich and super powerful and super like it's like you can't really kick you it with no longer have, You have to acknowledge that you can no longer claim certain mar- marginalities that made you notable in the first place. Or yeah. Something, or I don't know. Yeah. But um, I, yeah, I like yeah. I try. Try not to deify Cobain, but I do feel like, yeah, he's a tragic figure in the grunge movement for that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> but, and, and, and if he hadn't killed himself, would grunge matter that much anymore? Uh, or, you know, like, and, and, I mean, come on. That whole scene is full of tragic figures. We just lost fucking Soundgarden's guy, Chris mm. Cornell, who was, like, another virtuoso that, like... Um, right. I, you kind of forget how prolific he was and how much, like... Yeah, you liked his shit. Yeah. Like Super Unknown is a fucking gangster, <laughs> even though it has a seven minute uh, Spoon Man solo <laughs> playing the spoons. <laughs> but what I'm saying, like, if you think about where grunge led, what grunge led to, it it became like boy bands after uh, boy bands yeah. came out, early aughts, you right. know. Or what about like I feel EDM like, started yeah. to really pick up. Sorry, go ahead. No, go. Or I I feel like I would want to acknowledge like the sort of queer and feminine voices in grunge too, like garbage or... or and the yeah. pansy division. Yeah. Well, like, that was like <laughs> punk, but... <laughs> but I mean, I just want... I don't want to like stay... I just want to make sure that those names have been said. I know, I, I I know you're punk. <laughs> I know you're punk and queer because you knew who pansy division was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wonder what kind of success they'd have now. Because they, they were kind of like... Uh, they were definitely like... 
marginalized even among punk. Oh, like, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. They were because, like, yeah, I mean, they had... They got the same kind of shit Corn did for, like, being progressive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like there is a scholar out there who can talk about, like, all the... the to expand on yeah. the queer feminist movements that were happening concurrently, like, within... But, like, yeah, even in, like, I'm, I'm thinking, like, 2000... Oh, sorry, at 1997, 19... That's when I started to get into drum and bass. Like, at, there was a moment where, where people were just, like, tired. First of all, the, it's it's a little bit of, like, what happened with, like, after the Beatles and then how punk came about because everybody was, like the Bee Gees and fucking harmonizing and it was all virtual soul music and people were just like, fuck it, man. Like, all you need is power chords and, you know, (laughs) simple, like, music, simple songs that are, like, two minutes long, right? Like, uh, I think that it was, like, there was a moment where, like, even, like, I was just like, oh, I'm tired of playing the guitar. I mean, I I have two guitars right here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, like, there was, like, a a sort of a rejection because there were so many (laughs) Cree-type motherfuckers, right? Like, the puddle of mud. I'm just thinking about all the, like, the the shit that was, like, sort of, of like, that. Vocal delivery. Yeah, it was, like. It was like new metal with uh, with grunge uh, singing styles, mm-hmm. like you know, where everybody was like, like if you think about like what they were trying to imitate, imitate it was probably like more like Allison Chains lead mm-hmm. singer and stuff, like which is like <laughs> marginal fucking grunge at best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like I have to also kind of locate the specificity too because. Um, I, like, I know grunge through a lot of L.A., like, you know, like, the post-punk L.A. crowd. Like, yeah. Black Flag. And then performance artists like Johanna Went and Vaginal Davis that were also wrapped up with, like, and this Ron commercialized Affie. apathy. Or, like, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but is, but, but that, I mean, if you think about that, that's, like, that's a very strange identity because, like, that's, that's Gen Xers, but what's, what else is Gen Xers? Silicon Valley. Right. So like all of the technological, like uh, ideological shit that we're like uh, or in problematic shit that we're living through right now, that's them. They're the ones that were the coders that were starting to like, you know, the first dot comers, which uh, I remember that shit where it was like the, the, the dot com bubble burst. <laughs> Motherfuckers didn't know how to make money on the Internet when it first came out. Nobody did. And I don't know if you remember this. I keep reminding people. Facebook didn't know. <laughs> Facebook just made itself and then was like, I guess we'll sell people's data. <laughs> right? So, like, we fucking um, clumsily stumbled across this, like, Orwellian dystopian yeah. reality where it's like the need to make profit sort of was like, well, we've got this thing and we don't know how to make it profitable. I was like, we'll just invent an entire new industry, which we don't really know how reliable it is. Like how much can you discern from data actually, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like this fake gold. uh, Well, it's interesting because now we're in this, we're in the process where the fallout is beginning to happen around the, the novelty of this new technology. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it feels accelerated by the fact that we have it with us at all times. Like at 2007, that's yeah. <laughs> iPhone comes out, death to everybody. <laughs> that's the paradigm. Like... Oh my god, I don't know if you noticed, but the uh, they the uh, 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 Instagram did an update, and now it says by Facebook, yeah. and I'm like, fuck. I had a conversation. Way to make me not want to use this right? anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like it. That that. Ha- 
Facebook bought Instagram a long time ago, I suppose, before they started instituting the logo onto the loading screen. Yeah. But now that visibility <laughs> just makes... It's like, yeah. It's just much more panoptic, and I definitely feel like I'm very complicit and plugged into the the state matrix and like all this like I mean that's we we also like have to acknowledge that we found each other on Instagram too oh, yeah, so yeah. it's just like no it's 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 definitely it's a like I said it's a love hate relationship uh for sure and uh, I mean in many ways I've talked about how like I'm not sure so sure I feel great about the fact that like this is this podcast itself is so tied to Instagram because it is how I find people, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is a, there's a technological bias that ends up happening here where I am usually reaching out to people who know how to Instagram or, or, or Instagram in a way that is appealing to me. Right. Like, mm -hmm. um, whereas there's probably a lot of great artists that don't fuck with this shit at all that I'm like entirely overlooking. Right. Yeah. So, so there's like problems with that as well. So I don't know. It, we're not going to solve it. No, no. I, well, it's very much within, um, how do you get resources and subvert power within the framework that you just don't have enough capital to subvert just yet. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, we're, we're still participating in capitalism. We're still participating in the hegemonic social network. But we're not capitalists because we got no capital. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, motherfucker, you're not a capitalist. You at home are not a fucking capitalist. And if you are, you should sponsor the goddamn show. <laughs> or like, or yeah, it's like how much do we rely on? This is part of, for oddly... Uh, Hyper-capitalist social media networks allow us to participate in barter networks and barter yeah. trade and barter economies. You know, so. Well, and that, now we have this, like, thing, like, Patreon is essentially busking. <laughs> right like like you, you know what patreon is i know patreon okay so it's like you know what busking is no oh okay that, <laughs> that's why you didn't find my, it I was like, tremendously huh? genius oh, okay <laughs> busking is like uh when people ask for money and they perform with a guitar right like okay. so like a busker it would be like someone at the like someone that's playing a violin in the subway oh yeah that's yeah. that is uh, oh. is called busking so okay. essentially it's like uh decentralized busking where you can like just busk from your home um mm. and then the other thing that is like the other reason i say i'm like i can't really call myself a marxist because Eventually, I would like to sell some pieces. Right? <laughs> no, there's no shame yeah. in like no, looking no. out for your wellness and yeah, needing exactly. to intellectuals are like oh no no the reason that latin america is marxism isn't allowed to thrive is not because of racism it's because they're marxist-based systems as opposed to like you oh. know like well yeah or basically it was like Mar the uh, um the ideology is flawed same as yeah exactly but i'm just saying like that um like that the Danes aren't drawing from something else, <laughs> right? They're not like, oh, yeah. no, 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 it's not Marx. Well, We're drawing from another sacred text about <laughs> socialism that's right. pure and white. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, this, I'm going to rehash really irresponsibly the scholarship of like Fukuyama, I believe, who like believes in that modernity is really all about projects 
and ideologies that have manifestos that have ends like a teleology and the and like then they play the the it plays out in in really grand ways on the world stage and like how many times is capitalism diametrically opposed to communism and like the failure of you know communist social of, of communist states proves that um, it's a flawed ideology and we're kind of at the end of times now because because <laughs> also because capitalism is also falling apart or basically or like people are there's still um there's there's still people who are trying to follow a telos and a trajectory like like conservatives who are mm. like who are who are back who are really proponents of capitalism and they um they're still fighting for it to be the dominant yeah. ideology well, and proving the, that they're not at the end of the history or something like good good uh, you know going back to how we were talking about like phrases that are weird uh i, I forget which one we were talking about but uh, uh free market capitalist economy now think about when capitalism started and think about when the country started mm-hmm. so the country was free market before capitalism even existed okay so so following <laughs> so so no no so what i'm saying is that like we have this notion that the founders were you know capitalism is this uh entirely american like uh, uh integrated into the fabric of our being but Capitalism is like something that came along. It's not even after. Yeah, it's, it's an import. It's an it's an import from the UK. Yeah, uh, and uh, and it's not necessarily associated with free market, uh, free marketism. I guess right. <laughs> right? And so it's almost it was like part of a mercantile economy. I mean, I mean, cap. Yeah, it was like the division of labor. Yeah, the um, the, the idea of profiting and then. Profiting as an administrator, like all came from the the evolution from mercantilism into well, but and then also it brings in the it, it brings into a uh, um, a system of trade the notion of capital, which is like injections of money beyond uh, what was normal at the time, because you could mass produce things and you could just build up like mm-hmm. uh, reservoirs mm-hmm. of cash, where like. Now we're getting into situations where, like, you can do things that are counterintuitive, like run at a loss, right? Uh, And within the, Mm. like, that's not necessarily credit. (laughs) No, or like Amazon, (laughs) or like Uber, or like all these things. We we've reached this state where we're like, um, free market is a way of saying. Don't legislate. Don't regulate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, And but. In reality, it's not uh, it's not a free market. <laughs> mm-hmm. if, if it was, a lot of things would be run differently. There's like you know, there's subsidies for for like it, it. Like my point is that like the rhetoric of of free market. free market capitalism. Like those two things aren't even like they're not synonymous. No, they're they're two separate ideologies that have sort of uh, become um, part of the national identity, but like. That's really interesting. Yeah, I feel like that's so... F- How many times does... And remember, free market 
also included owning people. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, finish what you were saying. <laughs> not, to, not to, I fucked you up. I killed your flow with that no, one. No, <laughs> no, I'm accepting the pain. I'm bottoming right now. <laughs> Being a stoic here. Um, well, um, yes, there is so many instances. Like we got to remember that, like America is a post-colony. Yeah. Of Britain. one of the only colonies that ended up throw, overthrowing its masters too. If you look at like you know, okay, maybe Canada, but like mm-hmm. if you look at like fucking yeah. Lib- Libya, the reason that we overthrew Libya was because they were trying to get off the Frank, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> the last vestige of French imperialism. Uh-huh. So it's like you know, and that keeps them in you know, on the petrodollar. It's a complicated thing, but um, <laughs> but yeah, like that shit's that all of this stuff is fascinating. Yeah. We we should probably wrap up though because oh, we're, okay. we're at an hour and tw- or two hours and twenty four <laughs> minutes. So oh yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> but it was an absolute pleasure having yes, you likewise. i i do feel good about my ability to pe- pick people to talk to though <laughs> oh, i i feel i feel like uh i don't know i think you posted something about something uh, a story when when i reached out to yeah, you yeah i was in the throes of reading dean spade's normal life okay and then i was talking about the distinction between the term oppression and subjection or mm. subjugation, something or other. I think that's a great place. <laughs> I think that's a great place to end. Explain, yeah. get into it. <laughs> oh, I mean, the difference between maybe we could talk about subject as in like being submissive and being oppressed, and then wrapping it up and being that's the, <laughs> that's that's what bottoming is. That's okay, the, yeah, the theme of the bottom. But essentially, it was I was yeah I was you know I was panicking and using Instagram stories as an outlet and. Uh, I just was trying to digest this concept of that. Um, Dean Spade was talking about oppression really narrows the field of discourse and action that can be taken. And oppression is really one group subjugating another. Mm. And you have problems that are really micro-focused and not doing anything structurally or allow people to really think about um, the broader structures of subjugation that happen that have for- informed your worldview and allow you to... to unentrenched root causes or something so he calls that that um the broader expansive framework of that as um subjection i think mm. so um but it's part of like an ep- like it's one concrete example is like with gay marriage um gay marriage is really a normalizing apparatus yeah and we were really trying to like our acceptability and agency as citizens comes through mimicking an already judeo-christian heteropatriarchal normativity um and it's like we can't we that doesn't that's not radical at all so we're, yeah. it's only distracting from really the root causes of um or it's really distracting from the structural problems that really need to be addressed um yeah. so um and it was like fuck gay marriage, like, <laughs> like we were like recognize our humanity, like first, or like give us the res- the resource, like our you know our minimum life resources first, um, and that re- requires like undoing white supremacy, settler colonialism, um, and neoliberal capitalism. <laughs> but, 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 um, fuck Margaret that. <laughs> All right, I think we should end on that note. Um, where's my mouse? Here we go. Oh, so uh, generic at generic Matt, and uh, it will, did, will you plug your stuff again. What was oh it that, did, yeah, did you um, had something uh, plugging um, the. 
the plight of service industry and workers right now <laughs> during this trying time bottoming during the holidays yes and oh, i'm encouraging yeah. everybody to destigmatize and find power within bottom subject positions yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna own it when i feel that way and, <laughs> right. instead and, and i'm gonna tie it into bottoming and being like I'm doing this because I love somebody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that someone is me. Yeah, what is it? yeah feeling the holiday spirit. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, yeah, we do love you here at uh, the... Po- oh, wait, actually, this isn't coming out on the holiday, so... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but um, but uh, February is probably still going to be kind of gloomy. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Remember this uh, Black History Month that uh, it's bullshit that you only got a short month and that they did it on purpose to fuck with you. <laughs> right. There should be no month. It should just be... Just all the fucking time. It should be Women's Day every day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. I'm... That whole thing was awkward. <laughs> I'm going to own it, but yeah, I usually can... don't cuss this, sh- this kind of stupid shit out. <laughs> just so people know who I am. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, radical yeah, vulnerability yeah. here. <laughs> it sounds so precious when it's called radical. <laughs> uh, if you put radical in front of anything, I'm just a big pussy <laughs> <laughs> and empowered. That was empowered misogynist. Oh, <laughs> fuck, I'm just a trap. <laughs> We're going down a dark hole right now. No. All right. Uh, it's sorry, I'm not more woke, guys. <laughs> no. All right. Peace out, and uh, thanks for listening to the show. <laughs>